Well, good morning. Are there people out there? Yes, I see people. But uh, it is good to be with you guys here. Um, as Pastor said, uh, I'm Anthony, and this is my wife, Heather, and we have been serving the last number of years in Thailand with Send International, and before that, we were in the Philippines. Um, but it's great to be with you guys here in person and with you online. Um, it's a new season where I always feel like there's a camera watching me when we're in a church because of that. But um, the last time we were here, this is what our family looked like. And our little guy that you see there, Timmy, just left. He's now seven. But we'll start with a, a brief update on our family. Um, this is what we look like kind of now. Uh, there's been a lot of changes over the last number of years, um, but our eldest son, David, just finished his third year of college and is looking forward to returning in a couple weeks at, to Liberty University, where he is studying civil engineering. Um, our middle son graduated in June from an online school and is also going to be attending Liberty this fall, uh, rooming with his brother, David. Um, awesome. Mom and I are not so awesome about that, but we'll see how it goes. <laughs> Um, but Robert is looking to study graphic design at Liberty. Um, and then our, our little guy, Timothy, is seven and will be starting first grade at West Shore Christian Academy in a, in a couple weeks also. Um, so we're, we were almost to empty nest, and then God blessed us with another one, and now we've got another 12 years before we get the empty nest thing happening in our house. Um, Heather and I have enjoyed being back in the States and being part of men's and ladies Bible studies at our home church, which is Community Christian Fellowship in Carlisle. Um, and then, as well, Heather has been playing on the worship team at our home church, and so that's been fun. And, of course, we've enjoyed getting to visit some of our partner churches and connect with you guys in person. Um, and so it's a pleasure to be here in person, especially with uh, COVID around still, and not to have to wear masks today is wonderful. Um, but from there, I'll turn it over to Heather. Tony mentioned that we are involved in some Bible studies at our church, and this last year our church did uh, Elijah, which is uh, Priscilla Shire's new study that actually was written during COVID. And if you have not done this study, um, it is the best study I think I've ever done in my life, and I have led Bible studies for over 20 years. Um, it's, it's phenomenal. And I was reminded of the lessons I learned in that when we were starting to put our presentation together and I thought we have got to speak about Elijah's life because Elijah mirrors our story so much and um, Pastor Rich was talking about Jesus you know being divine and being a man and the, par the same parallel is made of Elijah he says he was a man just like us in James and we read about the incredible stories that that take place with Elijah being, you know, the, the, the epitome of like faith and, and all of that. And we think, oh, that's not me. I can't relate to that. But there's a lot of stories that come before Mount Carmel that God used to build that faith. And that's where you and I fit really well. And so as we look at um, faith this morning, a little bit of what it looks like to be a faithful person, um, faithless person sometimes. Um, and the story, we're going to weave kind of our story of our last five years into that. I want you to see where you fit in the story of Elijah this morning, where your faith is being grown, where God is using you in the, the arenas that you are in. 
his story takes place really in five different locations, five basic locations. And I was kind of just meditating on this. I thought, actually, these are points of faith that we all walk through. And uh, so we're going to share those with you this morning. Um, the first season in Elijah's life is kind of obscure. It takes place basically in one verse, 1 Kings 17.1, and I have it up there. And if you look at it, it talks about um, him being a Tishbite and from Tishbite and Gilead. Gilead is on the far way away from the main capital, and it's in the mountains. A lot of people would call Elijah a mountain man, and um, I think that was by purpose, by design, because the, the center of Baal worship occurred in the capital city. And here is this man being raised. They believe he was a shepherd, just like David, out on the hills, and far, far away from Baal worship of that day. And his name actually means something very, very interesting. If I can find it, that is. Yahweh is God. Yahweh is God. So it tells me that his family, his parents, were extremely um, interested in serving the one true God. They even named their child to stand for their faith. And so we know the location of Gilead was a foundational place for building this relationship with God. And in James 5, I've referenced that just a minute ago, we see that it, it calls him a praying man. It says he prayed, and it didn't rain. And he prayed, and it rained. <laughs> this man had a connection with the Lord that I think was forged in the mountains, the obscure mountains of Gilead. Every journey of faith begins in a Gilead, in this place of foundational intimacy with God learning to be still, seeking him in his word, learning that Yahweh is God, not being um, forged and founded by the bales of our day, learning to be able to say, that is not me, that is not me, this is me. And when we learn that, we learn true foundation, true intimacy with God. Most Thai people don't have an opportunity to build that foundational relationship with God. You and I are, have a lot more freedom, it seems, here. We hear a lot about it more. But most Thai people are Buddhist, including this gentleman whose name is Kun Leklek. Uh, I met Kun Leklek shortly after we arrived in Thailand and was out for a walk with Timmy one day, and he was riding his bike, and I greeted him with my Thai expression of Sawatikrap, and was prepared to walk by, and he greeted me in English, very clear, distinct English, which was very surprising for me to be in Thailand and hear that. And so we struck up a conversation, and it became evident very quickly that he was very well educated, had done a lot of reading, could speak very good English, much better than my Thai at that point, um, and still better than my Thai even at this point. Um, but was asking some very interesting questions, because he had done a lot of reading in the Bible. And so even in that first encounter with him, um, I was able to share with him how a person comes to salvation in Christ through relationship with Christ. Sadly, he did not accept Christ that day, but it did open the door for future conversations with him. And so we met on a couple other occasions uh, and continued that conversation, very deep questions he was asking. Some I could answer and some I'd say, hey, I have to go check that out and I'll come back and we'll meet again. Because um, they were very, uh, like I say, deep 
deep questions about Christian faith and what does it mean to be a Christian and so forth. Sadly, he is still not a believer. He is searching. But for him and for a lot of other Thai people, there's this fear that they have to stop being Thai to accept Christianity because their Thai nationality and their Buddhist religion are so closely connected. And so until he and others can let go of that fear and realize, I can embrace Christianity and continue to be Thai, it's a hurdle that they have to overcome. So please continue to pray for Kun Leklek and other Thai people, um, that they'd be able to overcome that fear and let go of that Buddhism and be able to accept God's gift of salvation through Christ. The next place along Elijah's journey that we see him go was to this little place called the Kirith Ravine. Shortly after he made this proclamation that it was not going to rain, and so it stopped, God took him to this small place where there was this little brook and hid him there for about a year, isolated from everybody. We kind of know what that looks like, having just walked through COVID and being isolated in some ways. But it's not quite the same because he didn't have an iPhone or an Android phone with Skype and instant messenger and all these things that even though we're isolated in our houses, we're still semi-connected. But he was alone, and I'm sure it was overwhelming, especially after it looked like God was thrusting him into this prophetic ministry, and God takes him away, but didn't abandon him. Um, he, he had the, the water kept flowing, and birds would come and bring meat and bread for him to eat. Um, but we've called this, or identified this as a period of assigned reclusiveness, where God assigned him to this period of being isolated. I don't know what that would look like for you and I. I'm sure it would be different. But perhaps God has separated you from ministry for a time to expand his understanding of his presence in your life. Or perhaps he's pulled you into times of isolation to reveal a sin or a character trait or habit that he wants to remove or to refine for his glory. How we respond when we're in those seasons of reclusiveness can drastically affect how long we stay there. If we harden our hearts, we'll be there longer. But if we humbly submit to what God wants to do, then his Holy Spirit can do his work in our lives. Heather had an experience in 2000. Well, Heather had an opportunity to help someone during this time. So God brought Johanna and me together. It was a really difficult time for her. She was 24, and God called her to work at an orphanage in outside, actually, outside of Chiang Mai, about an hour, among the rice paddies. And uh, she went there expecting to be an aide. And as it turned out, her director, their Australian, um, he ended up with cancer and had a mental breakdown, um, and the family left immediately and went back to Australia. So she was left with 18 children and absolutely no help whatsoever. And she is a strong woman. Um, she jumped into this, and she was managing, barely, but she was managing on her own. And she didn't know Thai, which made it difficult because she didn't have time to go to language school. Um, so she was taking the kids. They're, most of them, well, they're all Buddhists, but most of them were not believers at that time, taking them to Christian church in Thai. And so she wasn't even being fed on the weekends. And then she was so isolated out in this orphanage in the midst of these patties of rice, that she never even saw another white person, let alone another adult. And uh, we met her kind of in the second or third year we were there. 
Um, we were leading a small group through our international church, and she was a part of that, and she came to me and she said, Heather, I, I need more. Um, would, you, would you just mentor me a little bit? And I said, gladly. So I brought her in from the rice patties once a week, and we sat around the, the Word of God and um, just listened to her rant and rave and tried to come up with solutions and just became a sounding wall and a person with a different perspective because I was outside of her situation. And she knew she was where she was supposed to be. She knew God had called her there. She knew God was in control of her situation. But she was dying on the vine. She needed somebody to walk through it with her. And periods of assigned reclusiveness can either make you bitter or they can make you better, depending how you respond in them and depending what kind of body comes along beside you. Now, Elijah didn't have anybody to walk with him. And God, I think, did that on purpose so that he would rely solely on him. And I think often in our times of assigned reclusiveness, that's what God wants. He's wanting us to depend solely on him. But sometimes we need some help. And it's not faithless to ask for help. I think it's a step of faith, actually. I'm not going to make it. I need you to walk through this with me. So if you're in a period right now where God has placed you in a quiet ravine all by yourself, there's a couple ways you can approach that. You can say, okay, God, what is in this for me and you? What are you teaching me about me and you? Do I need to depend more fully on you? And two, do I need some help? Somebody to come alongside me, someone who keeps me accountable to where I know, so I'm in that foundational relationship and growing still and not stagnating. Foundational relationships require assigned reclusiveness. And often in those times, you can be somebody who comes alongside someone else in those periods and helps them grow and become better. One year into the drought, God actually moved Elijah to a third location, a third season of faith that we call intense refining. After a time, you see that brook that was sustaining him began to dry up. And God said, now I want you to move. Move to Zarephath. Now Zarephath, as you can see from the picture there, is way up north, way outside the borders of Israel. In other words, it's in a pagan land. It's outside the people of God and their nation of God. Not only did God send him to a pagan nation, this was the home of Ethbaal the king of Sidon, and if you see the name Baal in the name Ethbaal, it was actually Jezebel's father. The very woman who is coming after him and will eventually seek his life to kill him, this was her hometown. God sent him to a pagan nation. He sent him into danger, and he sent him to a widow, the least of the society, and I think it's very interesting as you look at the name Zarephath, if you look up the original meaning of it, it means smelting, furnace, or refinery. God sent him to be refined. And I think in that period, God was refining maybe a bit of prejudice out of him, having to ask for help from a widow. I think God was asking him to stand in a place where there was bail all around him. How was he going to handle that? And then after all of this time of, of receiving help from this widow, the son dies. And he does something completely unprecedented in scripture. He throws himself on the body of that child, and he says, God, 
I need a miracle. It's never been done in Scripture. Never been done. No one's ever been raised from the dead. But God responded because of a season of refining taught him that Yahweh was God. And those are the times of intense refining. See, we can ask why. Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Actually, I found in the Bible, God doesn't answer the whys. He often answers the hows, the whats, the what nexts. Those are the questions he often answers, but I don't know many whys that are answered. And at that time, when you're sitting in a place of intense refining, that is the question. You read the book of Job over and over. You will see the word why. God never answers. But he answers him with a revelation of who he was. And that is what we need to look for. James and Peter tells us to rejoice in trials because they develop perseverance, not answers. (laughs) Perseverance and maturity. And it actually proves that our faith is genuine. There's a reason. There's a reason. And seasons of intense refining are difficult. Some of you have have horrible stories from COVID. (laughs) COVID has been difficult. And beyond that, and all that you're going through in your life, but they're actually needed to stretch your faith muscles. Tony and I have endured a very hard season of intense refining um, over the last couple of years. We just want to share a little bit of this with you. I'm sure your stories would fit right in here with ours. But we're sharing them because they've actually led us to make some decisions about our future that I think you need to be aware of since you support us as a church. The first thing you see there is language. Um, The Thai language is quite challenging to learn, especially if you're going to read and write it, because it doesn't use the same characters that we do in English. Um, But during our time in Thailand, we actually were taught by seven different language teachers, which was just overwhelming to think about. Um, At the same time, it was a challenge because we had a two-year-old in our house running around, so we were trading off language teacher with childcare, and back and forth we would go. And so that was uh, very refining to learn how to speak another language. Spiritual oppression in Thailand is unprecedented. I've lived in Asia 35 of my 50 years, and I have never seen such darkness in a, in a nation. And um, every, every property has a god house. Every hill has a high place. Buddhas just are all over the hills. There's 200 different, uh, 300 different wats, which are Buddhist temples, just in a small town of two million of Chiang Mai. And um, we have found that we've had to pray a lot, pray against weird things that happen. Here in this nation, we make fun of or don't take much you know, stock in spirits. Um, the Thai know spirits are real. And demons are real. And they're in all the God houses. And they will pray. And they will feed them. Just like in the Old Testament. um, Hezekiah and the Old Testament where they had all the high places. First Kings, Second Kings, First Chronicles. Second Chronicles is Chiang Mai. It's Thailand. And it's real. And it was very, very difficult for me. Um, we've We've fought a lot of battles with healing and sickness. And with fear and courage. Um, because of the spiritual oppression. Sometimes that spiritual oppression is not quite as overt as what Heather is describing. Um, Sometimes it takes the form of just a child having nightmares in the middle of the night and waking up. And so for a year and a half, we fought that with Timmy, who would wake up in the middle of the night 
from a bad dream or whatever. And so there was that. But then he would wake up Heather. And so then Heather would be awake for two or three hours because it doesn't, she can't go back to sleep right away. And so then she's worn down for the next day. So even if something as simple as a child waking up, we saw as a form of spiritual oppression and warfare um, the first couple years that we were there. Something you won't deal with probably, but um, we had some helper issues in the house. If you're in Asia and you're white, you're rich. It's just the way it is. They consider you to be very wealthy. And so you take on helpers into your home to give them a job. It's kind of expected. So we had three helpers in the four years, four and a half years that I was there. And um, some left, some we had to get rid of. Um, and then, But they were all Buddhist, Roman Catholic, and so I had many opportunities to, to speak about my faith um, as I began to make dinner or whatever I was teaching them to do. Another thing that we walked through was a break-in in our house at one point that we believe was kind of coordinated by one of our helpers, and so we had to let our second helper go. Um, and so that was something to introduce some feelings of fear and insecurity within our family that uh, we had to walk through with our kids. Um, on a completely side note from that, I'm very thankful for my wife and the training that she did with our helpers because when we got uh, separated for a time, um, we had a helper that could help cook. And so Timmy and I had some good food to eat. We had a lot of health issues um, this last term. Um, I struggled ever since Timmy was born. I'm actually kind of an old mother, so I struggled pretty much since he was born with anemia um, and exhaustion. And another thing is the pollution in Chiang Mai hangs over the city. Um, a lot of it rolls down over the border from China, um, but they do their own you know, kind of burn methods, slash and burn methods, and Chiang Mai is in a bowl, so everything just sits on top of you. And I have an app that we kind of check all the, the, the AQI each day, the air quality, and um, we've been number one in the world quite a number of times, and um, we struggled. We had to get air purifiers, and we wear masks six months of the year with, you know, filters in them, um, and both Timmy and I really, really struggled with uh, pollution. My health challenges were of my own making sometimes, just because I'm getting older. And so I had to have a couple knee surgeries and a soldier's, uh, shoulder surgery at one point. Um, one of those, I'll let that alone, was the result of a mishap on my motorcycle. He says one. <laughs> uh, we had some family crises as well. Um, you know, when you send your kids away to college, they might go down the street, they might go to the next state. For us, we were on the opposite side of the world while David was here by himself for two years. And um, all the things that come up, like my car broke down, or like I don't know how to pay this bill, or you know, we're on the other side of the world and trying to figure out how to help him um, manage some of the things. He's had to really grow up um, a lot um, between 18 and 20. Um, another thing that was kind of hard for our family, um, Last January, at the end of January, I got a call from my dad, and he said, Heather, your mom has been airlifted to Holy Spirit Hospital. Um, she's probably not going to make it. And uh, my sister and I are both in Chiang Mai. She's a teacher there. So we got on a plane immediately um, and left within about three hours and made it back here for about 23 hours. My mom never came out of her coma um, but we had the opportunity to sing praises over her bed 
um, to witness to the people. It was interesting. A number of the, the nurses at her care were Filipino. And uh, we spent 10 years in the Philippines, so that was precious. And, um, yeah, to watch my dad walk through that and then have to leave within just a couple days to go back overseas. And then COVID hit, so. Related to that, um, you may remember from the last time we were here, I shared that my mom has cancer. Um, and so she is year five into what the doctors said could be a seven-year cancer. Um, I would ask you to continue to pray for my mom. Her name is Fran. Um, her cancer has flared up in her back. Um, so she's got a tumor in one of her vertebrae that actually caused it to have a compression fracture. Um, she just finished two weeks of radiation treatment. Um, she's opted not to do chemotherapy, but is doing some other stuff. But it seems like the cancer is starting to be a little bit more aggressive now. Um, and so that's something that uh, weighs on our family also. Of course, uh, you never have anything. I mean, you never have any challenges in ministry, do you, Pastor Rich? Very few, he says. Wonderful. This is the ideal church, obviously. Uh, we know that's not true. Um, and so even missionaries go through challenges. Um, for me, I think the biggest challenge over the last four years was the fact that I just felt lost and directionless. Uh, we went with some ideas of what we felt God was leading us to do, and when we arrived, things didn't work out the way that we had hoped or had planned. And so I spent quite a bit of time searching and trying to discern what is, why did God bring us to Thailand? And what is it that I'm supposed to do? And eventually connected with an organization that I served for about four years. Um, but it wasn't what we planned. And even that had some challenges. You see there the empty office. Um, and I'll explain that in just a second. We struggled also with Thai leadership. That was very unexpected for us. Um, a lot of pressure from our Canadian leaders and um, things that we could not comply with. And um, that actually has gone into making big decisions for us about our return to Thailand. We just felt it was irreconcilable. Um, it's very hard when it happens in the body of Christ, when things come down to a point where you just cannot find a common ground. Um, and that's where we've landed. So again, related to some of those ministry challenges, uh, you see the empty office there. That's amidst COVID, um, where we had to shut down, and we had eventually we had one or two people that would come in each day and just have the office open. Um, but I was also serving with one of our ministries um, called Comsari, which was an after-school program for kids. And when COVID hit in March and all the schools went to online school in Thailand, our ministry got shut down because it worked with kids. And so um, I could no longer participate with um, Comsari. And then when they reopened in July, um, our family had, was not together. And so I had my seven-year-old, and in the evenings or the after-school time frame when they would be starting up their ministry, I had parental duties to take care of, and so I was never able to rejoin this ministry, and so that's one area in which I personally got bit by COVID. So COVID wasn't quite so bad in Thailand in the beginning like it was here. Um, Thai, it is ramping up now. Yeah, borders are all closing right now. It's really bad. Um, but we had to, they did close down in March as per the Department of Education in Thailand. So um, <laughs> we were left with trying to teach Timmy how to read and write 
and do math and everything else in the beginning because he was in kindergarten? Um, following Heather's mom's passing, and, and actually prior to that, we had kind of talked about sending Robert home for the summer of 2020 so that he could get some stateside experiences like many of your kids would enjoy, getting a driving permit, having a job, having a bank account, some of those types of things. And so as COVID began to hit, we began to wonder, should we continue to do this? And if so, should we send him home alone or should we send a parent with him? Um, in the end, after a lot of prayer and seeking God's guidance, we felt like there was still this open door that God was saying, I want Robert to come home and I want Heather to go with him so that she can be caring for her dad a bit in the loss of his wife and so forth. And so last June of 2020, Heather and Robert did come home. Um, it was supposed to be a seven-week trip. Uh, well, at the end of July, when they're looking forward to coming back to Thailand, Thailand's borders had remained closed because of COVID. And so our visa, our volunteer visa type was not allowed to come back. And so the seven and a half week summer trip became six and a half months of a family portrait like this with Heather and Robert here in the States and Timmy and I in Thailand. Um, it was quite difficult um, to walk through that. We made it about three months into the beginning of uh, October, I guess. And then all of a sudden, Timmy started to implode. And it was like, I miss mom, I miss Robert. When are they going to come back? And month after month, it just kept going on of our visa type not being allowed back into Thailand. And so um, the end of November, we made the decision that Timmy and I would come back and we would start our home service early because we could travel this way and they just couldn't go the other way. Um, yeah, one of the hardest things about that is that we had actually extended our term from four years to five to, to graduate Robert from high school in, in Thailand, and that never happened. Um, so he had to be thrown onto online school quick, and we were trying to track along with international school in Chiang Mai so that if we ever got back, he could just bump right into classes. And um, it just went on and on, so he finished his semester, and then we, were look we knew we had to try and do it, and, and they ended up having to graduate. And so he had to take two extra classes just to graduate from North Star Academy. Um, and with all of that, I think my, my being a missionary kid myself and having grown up and be born overseas and all of that, I think it was hard for me to walk through it with him. Um, he, we, were, we went to a youth group one night, and he was texting. He texts with his friends, he can, but he's never going to see them again, most of them. Um, but he said, Mom, and he just kind of looked down at his phone, he said, Mom, they're going on senior trip this week. And uh, they flew down to a, a beach down in southern Thailand. And, uh, and I just started crying. I said, I'm so sorry. We can't get you back. And um, that boy is just an amazing kid. He said, Mom, he said, I wouldn't have traded it. I wouldn't have traded it. Um, he said, I know the Lord is in control of this situation. And uh, watch that boy's faith grow so much in this, the hard year that we have had. And uh, so... Um, I think sometimes <laughs> he was a little stronger than me. He taught me some things about faith and what it means to trust the Lord. All of this, and this is not everything, but this is just kind of the highlights of our term, um, lead to one word, and that word is burnout. Um, we have gone 17 years. Pastor Rich said, how long has it been? It's been 17 years since you guys have supported us um, to go to the Philippines and then on to Thailand. And... Um, 
We've never had a break. We just have kept going, no sabbaticals. And this term has been our hardest of all. And I think as a family, we just need to heal. We just need some time to recover. I know when trials and tests come along, like you go into survival mode. You're just like just every day putting your feet kind of in front of the other. And God says no, you know, in John 10, he says, I've come to give you life, to give you a life abundant. And in the midst of times when we're like in the middle of refinement, like nothing feels abundant. And I think one, one aspect of abundance that the Lord taught me this lesson of just waiting on the Lord's word. You know, Psalm 119 says, his, lamp is a, a, his word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And what that means is, you know, my feet, I just take a step. But I don't necessarily see what's on the other side of that step, right? I just take the one. And then I wait for my manna, <laughs> my daily manna, and I take the next step. And that's what our term has been like, just having to, one step at a time, rely, okay, what's next, God? I, I don't see anything else. It's dark and it's murky. What's next? Okay, I'll get the next word from God. And in our time of intense refinement, I think that what, that's what the main thing God is trying to teach us is that abundance is not what you find around you, right? It's not when things are going well. Abundance is found when I eat that daily manna, when I find God's word to be my life, my breath, even if it's just the very next one. That's abundance, it's abundance of feeding, right? He, he's our shepherd and he feeds us. When you're in the midst of trials, asking, what is God teaching me? What does God want me to know? That's one of the lessons that we have learned. As we look at the next season of faith that Elijah walked through, I'm not sure what story comes to your mind. We look at these storybook images any takers? What is it? The prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. Um, Elijah comes down and he challenges the prophets of Baal to a competition. We're going to go up on Mount Carmel and we're going to have a sacrifice duel. And we're going to see whose God is the one true God. And so the prophets of Baal gather their sacrifice and they put it on the altar, and they spend all day praying and imploring Baal to show up, and Baal is silent. Of course, we know why, but they didn't, and so he's just quiet. And then Elijah just humbly steps forward, and he repairs the altar of God. He puts the sacrifice on it and douses it with water, but just to make sure that there would be no question, he does it three times to make sure it's good and wet, because Obviously, water would put out any kind of fire. And then he says a simple prayer. He says, answer me, O Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God. Boom. Sacrifice is gone. Water and all, leaving no doubt to anybody's mind who the one true God is. Our God, Yahweh. There are seasons of life when God asks us to repair the altars of our lives, to come to him in prayer, or to call others around us to prayer. I don't know what that looks like for you guys, but uh, we are calling this this trust requirement where God asks us to trust him to see the fire of his presence fall. In 2018, Heather had the opportunity to walk through 
a situation like this, and Pastor Rich, you're going to be part of this story. A fellow missionary had approached me and asked me to do a two-day seminar on the topic of sexual abuse to some Filipino missionaries who were serving in Cambodia, if you got all that. And I thought, oh, there's a story here. And um, I said, what's going on? And she said, well, in this church plant in Cambodia, the pastor has been sexually abusing the children, the women, the young girls. And the church has blown apart. The families are blown apart. We have no way to help them. We have no background in any of this. And she knew my story. And she said, Heather, I think you're the perfect person to, to be able to help. And I thought, oh, man. So I went before the Lord, and I said, okay, God, I'm not the perfect person, but I'm willing. And I had been studying for a couple of months already the story of Joseph. And the Lord said, take what you're learning from Joseph and bring it over into this seminar. So we put this seminar together and began, and the first day was great, um, connecting just the, my background and my experience and what I have studied and the Word of God into the practical issues that they were dealing with. And got to the end of the day, and I noticed that my voice was disappearing very quickly. And then I left, and I thought, I'm, I am really sick. <laughs> um, fever, and just felt ill just immediately. And I thought, hmm, I'm under attack. <laughs> and so I took my vitamins and um, went to bed early, and I thought, I'll be fine in the morning. It'll be fine. I woke up about 2 o'clock, and just this feeling of like, oppression and darkness, and I felt awful. I thought, I said, I'm going to die. I feel like I'm going to die. And I couldn't speak at all, um, but I got up and I thought, well, I need to worship. I need to worship. And so I got my YouTube videos up going, you know, about all these songs that have to do with victory. And, and um, because I'm, my mentor in the Bible is Jehoshaphat. And in Second Chronicles 20, he goes into battle. And what he does is he put the singers out in front of the battle. And he says, you know, we're, we're going to go out and worship. And they begin to worship. And it says, as they begin to worship, the Lord set ambushes against the Allites, the Midianites and the Midianites. And, and they walk up to the, the precipice and look out of the valley. Everyone's dead. All they do is pick up. It takes them three days to pick up the plunder. And I thought, okay, that's what I'm going to do. Right? And I'm going to worship, and I'm going to just have faith that God is going to take care of my voice. And so I did, and um, just happened to be on my YouTube, and up comes this email from Pastor Rich. And he says, what is going on? The Lord has kind of placed you on my heart. And I said, here's the story. And boom, I laid it out for him. And he said, he said, I'll be praying for you. I'll be praying. Well, you've never heard the rest of the story, I don't think. And so I thought, okay, we've got Pastor Rich praying, i got Jehoshaphat, we're worshipped up, okay, this is going to be a piece of cake. And I walked into, I'd actually written a song um, that I was going to be singing, I thought, mm, this is interesting, I'm not going to be to sing, I'll be able to sing, I'll be able to sing. And so um, I went into that second day, and my voice never came back, never came back. And I sat with a microphone and a cup of tea, and I whispered through the entire day, getting through my sermon. And I thought, how interesting is it that I'm speaking on freedom, and the, the, the devil is working very hard to keep my voice imprisoned. And uh, we, we did get through the day. Um, it's interesting, since then, actually, I, I think I damaged my vocal cords, actually, speaking that long, because I can't sing very long, I can't speak very long anymore without it getting all tired, and I thought, okay, what, what was that all about? What was that about? 
And I don't know the answer to that. But I do know I was obedient. I do know that I did my job. And I do know that those women are equipped somehow to handle what they are going through in Cambodia. I don't know the outcome of that story. I just was faithful. And sometimes when God says, I want you to do this, I want you to do that, you think, I can't. And then you end up being able to not be able to do it at all anyway. And the point is that God wants you willing because he wants to use your weakness to somehow exemplify his strength. And that is the way it turned out. And see, all I had to do was be open to be submitted to what God was doing in my life and in the lives of these women and these poor broken churches in Cambodia. God was actually using the seeds of my story and the word so that the fire of his presence would move out from my painful past into the healing of those who are abused in Cambodia. God just required me to trust him for the outcome. No one likes to talk much about the events of 1 Kings 19. <laughs> After fire falls and the Baal, 450 Baal people are killed and Jezebel comes on the scene and she says, you're going to be dead tomorrow morning. And what does, what does Elijah do? You guys know? He runs for his life. He runs for his life. And I think just like any other season, Elijah experienced this, this, this issue of faith and faithlessness, a season of fear and exhaustion. But it was important. See, the, the contrast between that fear and what God did to change his perspective was Mount Horeb where God revealed himself and gave him a new perspective on life. See, God had expect—I mean, Elijah had expectations. He thought, boy, if I just am faithful, God's just going to wipe them all out. No more Baal worship. God will reign, right? For me, my expectations, if I just do what I'm supposed to do, you know, God will give me this voice. I'll have this power, right? Didn't happen. What was God doing? God was trying to reveal himself in my weakness. And that's what happened for Elijah. He needed to be weak so that he could truly see God's power and strength. And God often takes our failures, our whys, at his unexpected turn of events, maybe even our emotional breakdowns, (laughs) in order to bring us to heavenly reorientation. See, God wasn't done with Elijah. He's not done with you. He's not done with us. He just needs us refueled refocused for three tasks. God gave him three more tasks. And the same is true for you. He's not done. He's just refueling, giving new perspective, preparing you for his strength and your weakness. As Heather and I have worked and walked through these seasons of faith and examined um, our lives and what God may be teaching us, it has become clear that God is leading us into our own season of heavenly reorientation. And we're not sure exactly what it's going to look like at the end and where he's specifically leading us to, but we know that we just can't go back to Thailand. Um, The pollution that we had to deal with there and the health challenges that that brought in, um, the ministry challenges that we walked through, God, again, has made it very clear to us that returning to Thailand is just not an option for us for this next season but instead is leading us to remain here in the United States for the foreseeable future. With our kids in college, with two in college now, with both of our parents walking through singleness, um, and just some of our own healing from some of the challenges with our mission leadership, um, 
It's become clear that God wants us to resettle here in the States, to go through a time and a season of rest and healing. And whenever that takes place, then God will lead us to that next step that he wants to show us. Um, We don't know what that's going to look like. And we know it's not going to just happen overnight either. It's going to take some time for our family to walk through that healing journey, both all of our family, except for maybe David, who was here amidst all of that. Um, But especially for Timmy and Heather and Robert, um, I'm probably in one way kind of the best um, because I had some closure in Thailand. Heather missed that opportunity. Robert missed those opportunities. And so there's some issues there than healing that needs to take place. And so please pray for us as we walk through that um, together. I've found such a kinship in Elijah's story, and I'm praying that you found your story embedded somewhere here too, that God is meeting you in one of these seasons of faith. Um, I think the key to faith is actually, though, to see God in your story to see God moving. Because if you don't, you don't see God's intentions in these seasons, you don't see him working you through some of these um, seasons of life, you're going to become faithless and become despairing. There's going to be the facade of intimacy. You're going to be, feel abandoned by God and maybe incapacitated by your trials. You're going to be timid and you might even topple when God is asking you to be strong. And you will feel hopeless at the threats of the enemy and at the expectations that haven't come to pass, faithless. So the question is this morning, are you feeling faithless or faith-filled? See, one leads to despair, but one leads to the fire of God's presence in your life. So what season are you in this morning? Are you in Gilead, trying to build a foundational relationship with God? My personal, untheological, unprofessional opinion is that COVID is bringing us back to basics, bringing us back to foundational intimacy with God, learning to hear him and know him and pray. Is that where you're at this morning? Are you experiencing a Kirith ravine as isolated and lonely? Can you see his hand at work in your assigned reclusiveness as God desires to deepen this reliance on him? Rely on him, my friend. Rely on him today. Has God led you to Zarephath, where he's intensely refining you, leading you through trials, taking you through tests? Is he working to grow your faith in the middle of the furnace? So interpret these trials as God's instruction. You cannot have a testimony without a test. As you're being led to Mount Carmel, perhaps, where God is putting before you this trust requirement, he's asking you to make a stand for something, are you, being able to, are you being asked to do something you feel is beyond your ability? But where you sense the glory of God might just be hanging in the balance. Take a stand for truth and watch what God will do. Or lastly, are you in a season of exhaustion? Where you feel like you're the only one left serving God and is it even worth it anyway? Do you see God's hand over your unmet expectations, gently guiding you to this new revelation of him at Horeb? Is he working to bring you to heavenly reorientation? Hope in this. The healer is not finished, and he is just equipping you for what is next.
We pray that you guys would be faith-filled and not faithless as you walk through various things. And we'd ask that you'd pray for us to also remain faith-filled in what God is leading us to. Specifically, if you would please pray for us as our family tries to reintegrate into life here in the midst of a very unnormal post, well, kind of post-COVID season. We'd ask that you pray for clear direction regarding future ministry, that after a, a period of healing and rest, and that in God's timing, he would reveal what that next step in ministry would look like. And we do praise the Lord that God provided a job for me. I started working for uh, UPS Healthcare in north of Harrisburg. It's a warehouse distribution center. But the request for that would be that the schedule would come to some kind of regularity. Everybody knows that everybody's looking for people to work because nobody wants to work because the government's paying them to stay at home on unemployment. (sighs) So I never know when my day is going to end. Can't end, doesn't end until everything is shipped. Um, And so that makes it challenging for our family to plan things in the evening or to make other arrangements for things. Um, So these are kind of our top three requests at this point. So we do want to say thank you to you guys as a church for partnering with us. As Heather mentioned, it's been, we've been involved in missions for 17 years. Um, We've appreciated you guys being part of that ministry, both to the Philippines and to Thailand as we've served in various ways. And, uh, We know that without churches giving like you guys, we could not have remained on the field that long, just practically and physically. But beyond that, your prayers for us have allowed the Holy Spirit power to work through us, to touch the the lives of many, many people. You guys are a part of that. It's your guys' prayer that brings the, the power of the Holy Spirit into our ministry, our ministry. And so we want to thank you for your support, your partnership, and again, for the chance to come here today and to be with you in person. Thank you.